Thank you. It's a good job I remembered not to put on any mascara this morning. <laughs> right. Yes, I did think praying first and then preaching was probably the wrong way around. <coughs> right, Ruth. Let's get straight into Ruth. Um, Ruth's a really special book to me uh, for two reasons. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm English and Hubert is Dutch and we met at Bible College on our way to the mission field to work in Kazakhstan. So for part of our wedding vows, we used that lovely bit in Ruth 1, where you go, I will go, your people will be my people and your God, my God. Not sure about the where you die, I will die bit. <laughs> The other reason that Ruth is very special to me is because every year I run a camp, we're still heavily involved in mission, and I run a camp for children who are returning with their families from the mission field to the UK, and it's a bit of a big transition for them, and um, in that camp we use the book of Ruth because it's all about returning, travelling, transition, um, and so it's a book that I really love because I use it every year with the children on camp. This is the first time I've had to preach for adults for it. And if I was to say which is the hardest chapter to preach, it would be chapter 3, which is, just goes to prove that God has a great sense of humour. But I've really enjoyed wrestling with it from uh, for an adult perspective. So, without any further ado, let's read the book of Ruth, the, chapter 3. Have we got it there, Ethan? Lovely, thank you. So, chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter... I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours, and tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes, and then go down to the threshing floor. Don't let him know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are the guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her, and then went, he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? She told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, 
he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So I'm not going to recap everything, but where are we in the book of Ruth? Right at the end of chapter 2, the harvest is finished. Ruth has been gleaning in Boaz's field. Boaz has been protecting her and generous to her. And now the harvest is finished, but Boaz hasn't made any move yet as being a guardian redeemer. We need to understand where Ruth and Naomi are in the story. They don't have a father or a brother or a, a, a husband or a son to look after them so, to, or to protect them. And what Ruth has gleaned from the fields is good, but it's not going to see them through the winter. And they haven't got any other means of support. So their situation is still quite desperate. They're going to find themselves begging on the street before the winter is out, unless something can happen. And the end of the harvest means, of course, that that's the end of any chance they've got of gleaning. We also need to understand the culture that they're in. It says that this, Ruth happens in the book of Judges, and it says about the book of Judges that everybody did what was fit in their own eyes. People did what they wanted. You know, when I think about Israel, I think about the people of God. But there are times in Israel's history when they were really not following any of the things that God wanted them to follow, or at least most of them weren't. And this is one of those times. If you read some of the stories in the book of Judges, they did some pretty horrific things that they really nothing to do with the laws that God laid down for them or the way that God wanted them to be. And that is the culture that Ruth and Naomi are in. We get two little hints of what this might have been like for Ruth in chapter 2. Boaz says to her, stay in my fields. I've told my men not to lay a hand on you. In some translations, it says not to molest you, not to harm you. He had to tell his workers in the field to leave her alone because culturally, that wasn't necessarily what they were going to do. And Naomi picks up on this again. She says to Ruth, stay in Boaz's field. If you go to someone else's field, you might be harmed. So we have these little clues that actually things are not that rosy in Bethlehem. The culture they are in, the moral code that God laid down has gone. The sort of right and wrong has been is not working. People are not following God's ways. They're doing anything that's good in their own eyes. And I tell you, that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> not that much difference between Swindon and Bethlehem, really. You know, the, 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 the pillars of society that made it the thing it is have changed, have shifted. But there are a few people doing the right thing, trusting in God, and one of them is Boaz. He's a good man. We know that from this story that he's a man who loves God, who is following God's way. Bethlehem's a pretty small place, a couple of hundred people, and the men there will have known most of the other people most of their lives. You know, if you meet a girl, it's going to be your cousin Joe's brother, sister's daughter's, whatever. And then there's Ruth. In she comes. She's foreign. She's a bit exotic. She's different. You didn't play sand pit in this mud pies with her when you were five. And she very conveniently doesn't have a brother or a father to look after her. So Ruth is actually in quite a vulnerable position now. And Naomi knows this. There's only a matter of time that Naomi's going to be able to keep Ruth safe. And so chapter 3 begins with, I must find you a home, Ruth. 
It's really urgent to get Ruth settled. We need to find you a home. And during the harvest time, of course, Ruth was in front of Boaz's eyes every day. But now that the harvest has finished, he's gone back to his farmhouse and he might forget about Ruth. Good man that he is. She's not there immediately and he might forget. So Naomi needs to act. So she comes up with this brilliant plan. To be honest, if I was Ruth, I would be going, what? It does not feel like a brilliant plan if you're Ruth. (laughs) This is the bit that I struggle with in the book of Ruth. What was Naomi thinking of? Why was she sending Ruth to the threshing floor? And to unpack that a bit, I'm just delighted. Where's Gina? I'm so delighted you shared that bit about the harvest this morning. Because the harvest in a rural community like this, the harvest is everything. And you spend the whole time watching the weather. Are we going to get a good good harvest? Good harvest means food. Bad harvest, you're going to starve before the winter's out. So the harvest is gathered in. Party time. It's no, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that out on the threshing floor, there would have been a fair amount of celebrating going on. The harvest is safely gathered in. Now we've just got to go through the process of threshing it. No women there, all the young men gathered together. We've already had a little glimpse that they're not necessarily a culture following God's ways. I think the threshing floor would have been quite a raucous place of an evening. And Ruth is supposed to walk into the middle of this on her own. What was Naomi thinking? And I'm going to leave you with that for a minute. (laughs) And we're just going to go on with the story a minute and we'll come back to that. So Ruth does what Naomi asks. And she goes in to the threshing floor. She waits till the right moment, and she puts herself at Boaz's feet. It's really important to understand she's not climbing into bed with Boaz. She's putting herself at Boaz's feet. She's putting herself in the place of a slave, of a servant. This is where the, the uh, acknowledging that he is the master. She's put herself as a servant at his feet. And when he wakes up and says, who's there? She says, Ruth, I am your servant. And then she says, put the corner of your cloak over me. Do you know, there's something in this story that reminds me an awful lot of the prodigal son. You know how the prodigal son came back and said to his father, just make me a servant in your house, I don't deserve anything else. And his father said, no, 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 you're a member of the family. And there's a little bit of this, you know, I'll just just be a servant, put the corner of your cloak over me for protection. And Boaz said, no, I'm going to do the right thing as your guardian redeemer and make you part of the family. There's this echo of, in response to her humble heart and her love of God, she's being brought right into the heart of the family of God. The corner of his cloak is protection. She's asking him to put, take her into his household to protect her, so that he would become her protector. But Boaz is such a nice guy. He knows there's more to it than that. She mentions the magic words, guardian redeemer, kinsman redeemer, and he knows exactly what his role is. And he says, of course I will be your kinsman redeemer, um, and takes her, eventually takes her to be his wife. And we have this absolutely beautiful verse where Boaz says, This kindness you've done is greater than anything you've done before. You didn't run after younger men, rich or poor, but you've chosen me. 
Why is it such a beautiful verse? Well, apart from the fact it just shows Boaz as a really sweet guy going, really, you'd choose an old bloke like me? Which is really rather sweet. It shows, I think, why he didn't act earlier in terms of being a kinsman redeemer, because he didn't actually think Ruth would want him. But also, he gives Ruth back her dignity in this. Because, you know, Ruth crawling in at his feet and going, protect me and be a servant, that's not a great basis for marriage, is it? But him going, really? You chose me instead of a younger man? Gives her back her dignity so that now there's actually a sense that she has chosen him as well. Isn't Boaz a lovely man? So, there's one thing that really occurred to me in the middle of this as I was studying it. You see, Boaz straight away knows that he's not the closest kinsman redeemer. There's another one closer. And it struck me that Naomi knew that too. Naomi knows her family tree. She's not stupid. And all the time Ruth's been gleaming, where would Naomi have been? Catching up with all her friends and relations from 10 years ago that she has missed and getting all the gossip and finding out what's going on. She has found out all about Boaz and she would have found out also that there's a closer kinsman redeemer. It never occurred to me before that Naomi knew. (laughs) But of course she did. And she chose Boaz because she loves Ruth and she wanted a good man for Ruth. And that is why we have this complex plan of going into the threshing floor to get Boaz's attention because Boaz is the man that she wants to marry Ruth. So back to the question, what on earth was Naomi doing? And I think everything about this story, and particularly what we're seeing here, hinges on the characters of these three people, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And it all hinges on the fact that these are three people that love the Lord and are doing the right thing by God. And, you know, sometimes Naomi is portrayed as a bit of a bitter old woman because she does that bit at the beginning where she says, I'm bitter because I've lost everything. But really, Naomi isn't. And I just want to take a moment to look at the characters of these three. Naomi is a wise woman who has spent years following her Lord. She walked with God day by day by day for years. She went with God all the way from Israel to Moab and all the way back again following her husband. She has walked with God through famine, through three massive bereavements. She's a woman of God. And how do I know that? Because in Moab, in amongst all the other gods that weren't the God of Israel, Ruth catches Naomi's faith. So the only way Ruth could catch Naomi's faith is if Naomi was displaying that faith and displaying her love of God. And she communicates it so effectively to Ruth that Ruth takes the risk of leaving Moab and coming back to Israel, let your God be my God and your people, the people of Israel, the people of God, let there be my people, I want God. And that's why she follows Naomi back. So I know that Naomi is this woman of God because she's managed to communicate all of that to Ruth and has raised up in Ruth another woman of God. Naomi's plan for the threshing floor, comes out of her long and deep relationship with God. And she knows that sometimes with God you have to take a risk. 
She has seen that Boaz is the man, really, that Ruth needs to be with. She's seen into the, the sort of the long-term picture. I want Ruth to have a good man. And she's taking a risk. Ruth took a risk when she left Moab and came back to Israel. Massive risk. We know, excuse me, we know because we've seen the end of the story that her risk paid off, but it might not have done. You see, that's the thing about risks when we take risks for God. We don't know at the beginning if they're going to pay off. But God asks us to take risks for him. Not silly risks. Please don't go and jump off any roofs. And if you're going to take a big risk, it's a really good idea to gather some people around you to pray about whether this is a sensible thing to do. I'm not encouraging people to go out. and. But we are asked and called to go an extra mile and to take risks for God. And that's what Naomi's plan was. We're going to take a risk because of what I can see God has for us in the future. We work with missionaries all the time. And I can tell you that when a missionary gives up everything here and gets on the plane to go to another country, they're taking a risk. I've been working with our mission organization since 1995. And I can tell you that in that time, there are people who have died as a consequence of that risk that they took. Adults and children. Because sometimes God says, take a risk. Because a risk in God's world is not the same as a risk in a human world. What God has, even for the people who went to death, what he has for them in the future in heaven is so much more than if we just sit back and go, oh, it's a bit comfortable here, I'm staying put. Sometimes God asks us to take a risk. So Naomi and Ruth, well, she gets Ruth to take the risk, really, but there we go. These three people of character... And Ruth trusted Naomi because she's been following her for a while. She knows that she's a woman of God. And both of them are trusting in Boaz because they have heard that Boaz is a man of God. You see it on his lips. The first thing he always says is, may the Lord bless you. You know, it was a lovely greeting. May the Lord bless you, Nick. What a nice way to greet someone. May the Lord bless you, Sarah. Isn't that lovely? That's how he starts. He's so full of God that that's how he greets people. We see it more than once in the book of Ruth. He's a great guy, Boaz. And Naomi and Ruth are trusting in the character of Boaz. It's very interesting that Ruth has only been in Bethlehem for a few weeks. But what is her reputation? She's being talked about. You know she's being talked about. Boaz says, everybody's telling me that you are. Of course she's being talked about. She's new. Nothing much exciting has happened in Bethlehem recently. And there's another 400 years until anything more exciting happens. Ruth's great bit of news, but what have they been saying about Ruth? They've been saying, wow, look at her. Look how she looked after her mother-in-law. Look how she's working hard. What a nice woman she is. What a woman of noble character she is. That is what they've been talking about, about Ruth. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz followed the Lord and trusted in the Lord in the middle of a society and a culture where that was not the norm. In the middle of a society and a culture where that was not what people are doing, they stuck by their God and they trusted in their God and they were known in their community as people of character. What does that mean for us today? Well, I think you can see where I'm going with this. 
There's really not that much difference between the society of Bethlehem and the society of Swindon. A bit more technology, perhaps, but we've got... We are in a society where the moral absolutes have become shady. They've broken down. People do what they think is best in their own eyes. How often have you heard people say, well, if that works for you, that's lovely. As long as nobody gets hurt, we're all consenting adults here. Really, we live in a society where the value system of God is not valued very highly. Where it's okay to cheat on your insurance form or fill in your ta- fiddle your tax. Where, you know, if you take something from the supermarket, well, big business can afford it. That's actually quite common in the society we live in. Not very many people stand out anymore as following path of God. And it is hard to stand out and be different. But, you know, Ruth, Naomi and Boaz managed it in quite a small community where they were very much the center of conversation and attention. They managed to stand out and be different as they followed the Lord, as they allowed God to work in them. So the challenge for us is, are we willing, like Boaz, Naomi and Ruth, to stand out from the crowd? You know that um, young policeman who died last week? I was watching uh, yesterday or the day before on the news the tributes to him, and it was really noticeable, the vocabulary and the words that people used to describe him, that he was an honest young man, an honourable young man, a, uh, a good man, and people really valued those things in him. Isn't that ironic? As a society, we don't value them, but when it comes to one person... They really valued those things in that young man. I know that people always want to say nice things when someone dies, but there was a genuineness about what they were saying, that this was a a really good young man. Do we want to be those kind of people? I just wonder, do I stand out? Do I stand out as being different? If I was to ask my neighbours or the people at the school gate or the people I work with, Would they think, how would they describe me? Would they say, there goes Rebecca, she's a woman of noble character. Well, I'm not sure that anyone in Swindon would use that phrase. It doesn't roll off the tongue very easily, does it? But what would people say? Do you know, my neighbours hear me shouting at my kids. And occasionally Hubert and I have an argument. I honestly don't know what they would say. Would the gossip about me, like the gossip about Ruth, would it be good? Would they say, well, you know, she's, she's someone you can rely on. She's trustworthy. If you need a helping hand, go to Rebecca and Hubert. They'll help you out. Do you know, I actually don't know. What would your neighbours say about you? I really want to be known as a woman of God. I really want to be known as different. I really want to be known, like Boaz, Naomi and Ruth were, as someone who stands out from the crowd. And as I say that, I know there's some people here who, for a variety of reasons, are immediately going, that's not me. 
And some of you are saying, well, I don't want to stand out because I don't like being the centre of attention. So actually, the idea of standing out from the crowd is absolutely not on. Let me tell you about my friend Jenny. She was probably the very first Christian that I really got to know. And in fact, it's all Jenny's fault that I'm here today because it was through her I became a Christian. But at this point, when I first met her, we were all students together. And we were quite typical students. And Jenny is a really quiet person. She does not like being the centre of attention. She's very reserved. But in our little group of students, she was always there, quietly in the background. And we would go down to the pub and have too much to drink, and we would do whatever. And Jenny was always there. And we came to realise, as we got to know each other, that she walked to a different drumbeat. Her value system was different. And everybody liked and respected her for it. They didn't understand it. We gradually realized it was something to do with this weird Christian faith that she had. But they all liked and respected her for it. And I tell you what, we behaved better when Jenny was there. She had an influence on it. Quietly, in the background, she was the sort of person who, if someone had had too much to drink, she'd walk them home to make sure they got home safely. Even if that then meant she had to walk right across town herself quietly there in the background. That's what I mean about standing out and being different. It doesn't mean standing up and being the centre of attention. You don't have to preach to stand out and be different. It means ordinary, everyday standing out and different. And I'm looking at the clock. Oh, dear. Right. Naomi was a woman of God because she walked day by day by day with God. And it was walking with God in her that made her different. And, you know, as I say, you know, we need to be different. We need to be better. There is a real danger that we kind of go, oh, that means I've got to work harder. I've got to try harder, you know, being a better Christian. And that's not what I'm saying at all. Because Naomi was different because she walked with God day by day. And the way we become different is that we walk with God day by day. Mature Christians are supposed to be different. It says in John 13 that they will know we are Christians by our love one for another. We are supposed to stand out and be different. Amongst our at work, amongst our neighbours, amongst our friends, we are called to be different. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you have to be different in order to become a Christian. To become a Christian, all you have to do is turn to Jesus and say, yes. But once you've become a Christian, God wants to work in us. He wants to change us. He wants us to grow up and mature. He wants us to become people that stand out. He wants us to be different. He wants us to not be like the society that we're in. He wants us to be like his society and his laws and his ways of doing things. And it says in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that is what we should look like. I honestly stand here in front of you and I say, I can't tick very many on that list, or not nearly as many as I would like to. I certainly need more patience. I've got three kids. We have the Holy Spirit. Boaz, Ruth and Naomi did not have the Holy Spirit. They had God, but they didn't have it in the way that we have it now. And as the Holy Spirit fills us, he will mature in us and grow in us the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the gifts of the Spirit are really exciting. I love listening to tongues. I love prophecy. But you know, no one runs to the front on a Sunday morning and says, guess what? I was really gentle this week. (laughs) But you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, 
They are really important in our everyday lives as we mix with people not in church. They are really, really important to be the people of God and stand out and be different. I heard an interview on the radio yesterday. It was from a guy who works with far-right extremist groups, people like the BNP, and his job is to basically de-radicalize them. And the interviewer said to him, so what do you use? Do you use a program? Are you using following somebody who's like, have logical discussions with them? He said, nope. I use kindness. I am kind to them when they don't expect me to be kind, and I'm kind to them in extreme circumstances where no one else is kind, and it breaks them open. Did you know that kindness was so powerful? It's not a very common thing to ask for. How often have you heard people say, yeah, I want more of the spirit because I want more gentleness and I want more kindness. We don't do it, do we? But we should. You know, the fruit of the Spirit takes time to mature. It takes time to grow into. These are gifts of maturity. And we need to nurture, nurture the Holy Spirit in us, walking with God to let the fruit grow. And for any of you sitting there thinking, well, that list is too difficult and I can't possibly aspire to it. I've got two apple trees in my garden. One's huge and it's full of fruit. And one's tiny. It's just got one or two apples on it. Those apples actually taste bigger than the big tree, but <laughs> can't take an analogy too far. <laughs> you don't have to have everything all at once. When I look at myself, I think, okay, which one of those fruits do I need to be nurturing more of? Lord, I need more of your Holy Spirit because I need more self-control. When I'm shouting at my kids, a bit more self-control, Lord. And then I'll be a better being different to my neighbors. (laughs) Which one of those things do we need more of? I want to stand out from society around me like Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi stood out. I want to be different. I want to be known as a woman of God. I want to be known as someone who people can come to and trust, trust me with things. I want to be known as someone who's full of love and peace, who's kind, who's known to be faithful and loyal. That's what I want to be, and that is what God wants us to be, because he says that's what a mature Christian looks like. A mature Christian has a tree full of fruit of the Spirit. So, here's my challenge. Would you like more of the fruit of the Spirit? Would you like to be more like Ruth and Naomi and Boaz? Would you like to stand out more? Just at home, in your work, amongst your neighbours, we're not talking about standing up and being centre of attention. We're just talking about, would you like to be different because you are men and women of God? And if that is you, then I'd really love you to come forward in a minute and be prayed for to get more of the Holy Spirit. Not this time... I mean, the Spirit will do what he wants. But not this time for the gifts of the Spirit. That's lovely, and we do that sometimes. But for the fruit of the Spirit. To be different. Because it's as we stand and go, Lord, give me more. It's not as I strive, and I try, and I work, and I try and be better. And maybe if I help out my neighbor more often, I'll be more kind. No, it's as I stand and go, Lord, grow those gifts in me. Grow those gifts in me. 
If you would like to grow more of those gifts in you, I'm going to ask you to come forward, to be prayed for, for more of the Holy Spirit. And there have been a couple of words as well this morning. Uh, Motti had a word about critical people speaking critical things over you. If that's you and you'd like to be prayed for, now's the time to come forward. What was the other one, Nick? Yeah, I think um, Julian's um, testimony this morning was powerful, wasn't it, about the harvest? But he described uh, a difficult situation before that, a battle as it were. And then folks got around him and prayed with him. And one week to the next, there was a big sea change in circumstances. And the harvest was plentiful. And, you know, we, I, I believe that that was on the back of the prayer of the saints. And the Bible says that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective, right? And so, yeah, if anyone is having that sort of battle, going through a battle or things are difficult at the moment, then, yeah. We'd love to pray for yeah. them as well. So could I ask the band if they'd like to just come back and play? Let's stand together. I'm just going to pray over us. And if you would like to be prayed for, for more of the Holy Spirit or for those things that we talked about, please just come to the front. There's nothing special about the front, as we always say, but it is just a place where somebody can go, oh, you'd like prayer and I can put hands on you and pray for you. So let's pray. Lord, thank you that you call us to be different. Thank you that you call us to stand out from the society around us. And Lord, we ask for more of your Holy Spirit in us. More of you, Lord. More of you to fill us up. More of you, Lord. Come and fill us anew with your Holy Spirit. Come and grow in us the gifts. Come give me more self-control, Lord. More patience, more kindness. I need all of that, Lord. Come, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Amen.